Alright, you can keep your Bibles open, keep them in, um, in airplane mode if you like, if you've got a, a techno Bible, God still speaks through, through the airplane mode Bible. Um, we're in the Gospel of John and, and we're doing a series on the Gospel of John and the series title is the Gospel of John. Um, gospel means good news and, and this, this passage is good news today. My, my favourite Bible verse is, is in here. So I'm, I'm pretty pumped about this. PJ prayed that I'd, I'd preach faithfully and humbly. And um, that just struck me as he was praying. I, I'm humbled by, by this text and this opportunity. And, and I keep praying, God, um, would I be so much more invested in, in your words than mine and in hearing you than, than speaking um, nice words or anything like that. So I, I pray that God really speaks to us today. We're we're in the Last Supper, and um, in the Last Supper, we, we have what's called the Last Discourse, or the Farewell Discourse. It's, it's Jesus' final sermon with his disciples um, before he, he leaves them. And, and we've just heard that he's going to leave them. Um, they just found out their, their mate Judas, who's been journeying with them for the last three years, they thought he was one of the boys, and he's a traitor. Um, he's, he's walked out into the night, into darkness. They just found out that Peter, um, the, the passionate, zealous one, um, is going to deny Jesus. And the disciples are troubled. And I want to teach um, this passage under three, three headings. There is hope, there is one way, and there is work to be done. So the disciples are troubled, but there is hope. And I think we're often troubled as disciples too. Um, maybe within the church, um, you know, the, the church family can, can sometimes uh, let us down or, or we still have, um, our, our pastors are still dirty sinners um, and that can be um, tricky. We can get let down by, by friends or family. And we also get troubled just in, in the, the daily matters of, of work and, and stress and uni and um, study, maybe, maybe you're troubled about your future or your finances. And, and there's an option we have when we're troubled. I don't know if anyone's um, on, on the new Justin Bieber and Ed Sheeran song, I Don't Care. It's a great song. But, but one thing we can do is we can just sing, I don't care. I'm with my baby, yeah. <laughs> it's got a good little hook. I encourage you to listen. But we, we can anesthetise ourselves to troubles, right? We can, we can turn to, to things like entertainment or productivity, busyness, or, or even positivity, something I think I, I can turn to, to numb the pain, positivity. I don't care. Ooh, 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 ooh. You know, and that stuff's okay, but, but sometimes we end up turning to things that are, are really unhealthy too to, to deal with the trouble. What we see here is that the best remedy for a troubled heart is to trust Jesus again and again and again. Refreshed and renewed trust in Jesus is the best medicine. It's better than laughter. Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus has been saying for a while now that, that him and the Father are one. That, that he says, I am the way, the truth and the life. This is um, one of the, the I am sayings of Jesus in which he's saying, in the same way when, when God said to Moses, my name is I am, I am. 
Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I am the bread of life. I am the gate. I am the light. I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus says, I am. And when he says, I am, he's saying, I am God. He says, you believe in God, believe also in me. So when you're troubled, trust, believe into, entrust your life into Jesus again and again and again. It's the best thing we can do for a troubled heart. Because there is hope. Jesus goes on to say that he's going away so that he can prepare a place for us. It's, It's like the Hebrew engagement ritual. Right, the Hebrew engagement ritual was that the the groom, when um, after he'd proposed or whatever, would go away, prepare a place, build a house for his bride. It's like the notebook, right? The Jewish notebook, build a house for his bride. And when when the place was ready, he'd come back for his bride, and the wedding feast would begin. You know, the first place Jess and I lived in, um, the little apartment in Parkville. Some of you might remember it, and. Um, we, we got the lease about six weeks before we got married and I moved in first. And I'd say to everyone, I'm, I'm preparing a place for my bride, for the wife of my youth. And people would be like, shut up. <laughs> but, but honestly, Jesus is leaving. He's, he's left to prepare a place for his people. And he's coming back to take us as his bride. There's a homecoming coming. Like the song said, heaven is our home. And when we say that, it's not because heaven's some other ethereal place out there. It's the place where God is. It's God's home. And it says the Father's house has many rooms. My friend um, had a house. It was her father's house. But, but her father had a house in Turak that was so impressive that One Direction stayed there once. And that house had a lot of rooms, right? Many rooms. But, but any sort of suburban mansion image that we have of heaven is selling the Father's house short. Heaven is bigger than we could imagine. It's better than we can imagine. But it's also different to what we might imagine. Perhaps many rooms means it's more expansive, more inclusive than I'd like to think. We don't know what it will look like, but we do know it's where he will be. And the great hope we have is not the interior design of heaven, but that we'll be with Jesus. Heaven is our home and his presence is our hope. Jesus says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. His presence is our hope. Heaven is the place where he is. And so he says, you know the way to the place where I'm going. And then Thomas, the disciple, says, Jesus, no, we don't. He says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And then Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, You do know him and have seen him. So good. I don't know if pastors are meant to have favourite Bible verses, 
But John 14.6 is my favourite Bible verse. It, it has been since before I was a pastor, so maybe that makes it okay. But um, if I was to get a tattoo, which I wouldn't, I would not get a tattoo for, for three reasons mainly. Too expensive. You have to stay really fit for a tattoo to stay cool. Like if you blow out, the tattoo looks really silly. And my design preferences always change, right? I couldn't, I couldn't be sure that the font I chose would stay my favourite font. Like, I'm starting to wonder if Helvetica isn't cool anymore. Um, would you be pleased to know the slides are, the slides are changing at church maybe soon. But um, if I was to get a tattoo, I would get John 14, 6. It's, it's my favourite Bible verse. I, instead, of, instead of that, what I, I sometimes do is write John 14, 6 on my running shoes and pretend to be a basketballer. So um, that's my, my close second to a tattoo. But Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And the ands are key here. The way and the truth and the life. Like This speaks to the magnitude of who Jesus is, the fullness, the completeness, the comprehensive nature of who he is. And, and that's why I've always loved this verse, right? Jesus touches everything. He's the way, the truth, the life. It's, it's expansive. But I wonder, some of us are probably thinking, like, that sounds great, but what do these things mean? Like, if you're artistic and conceptual, um, these words, they just they feel right. But if you're not, you're like, what does it actually mean, the way? What does it mean that Jesus is the truth? What does it mean that he's the life? So the truth, Pilate, Pilate, Pontius Pilate, not a different Pilate, Pontius Pilate will soon ask, what is truth in the Gospel of John? It's a question that, that comes up a lot in our, our postmodern days. Truth is that which is real. Dallas Willard said, truth is what you run into when you're wrong. It's reality. It's what's genuine. It's what's true. And Jesus is the teacher of truth, he's the source of truth, and he's the embodiment of truth. He, he embodies reality, that which is real. Jesus is truth. What's life? Life is, life is existing, right? Breathing, being alive. But it's also qualitative. It's also a, about the quality of life. We say this is the life. And when we say this is the life, it's because we're on holidays and we're, we're on a balcony and there's a sunset, but that is just a shadow of the life, Jesus. Jesus is the creator and sustainer of life. He's the giver of life eternal. That means that if you want to live forever, which apparently Taylor Swift and Zayn Malik don't, um, a lot of pop music references today, but, but if you want to live forever, you have to work that out with Jesus. You have to believe into him. He's the source of life. And he's the source of the good life of human flourishing. He is the life. And because Jesus is the truth and the life, we've actually seen um, through the book of John that, that he's the truth and the life. He's been saying this sort of thing in different places. Because he's the truth and the life, he is the way. The way, the, the original word for way is hodos. And that can be translated as road or way. So Jesus is the road to God. He's the only road to the top of the mountain. There's no alternative route. Google Maps cannot redirect you no matter how hard it tries. 
So Jesus is the way to live. He's the way to be. He's the way to go. His way is the way. It's why at the centre of our vision statement, it says disciples following the way of Jesus. But notice that Jesus didn't simply teach or show or explain the way and then say, good luck, guys. Jesus is the way. It's like we're a church of young people, right? We're a church of young people. And, and we want to date well. So I'm going to give some dating advice here. You ready? I can see who's taking notes, so no shame. If you're, if you're going somewhere, if like a group of people are going somewhere, right? maybe to, to dinner, after church, or, or maybe to a party, or if you're going somewhere and you fancy someone who's a Christian, and they talk to you, right? They start talking to you, which is a good sign. Just That's a good sign if they're talking to you. I can see people nodding. It's like, yes, good sign. <laughs> if they ask you, hey, how do I get there? Hey, what are the directions? Which train should I catch? What's the way to the party? What's the way to the dinner? Don't tell them the way. Come close, not too close, and say, I am the way. I'm your ride tonight. Don't, not in a creepy way, but you don't need directions because I'm, I'm your lift. I've got it covered. And you drive them yourself. You know, the, the, the first rule of young adulthood is that the best chats happen in the car. Like, that's the first rule of, of dating and young adulthood. And, and Jesus, he teaches the way to live. He shows us the way to be. He explains the way to God, but even more than that, he is the way. Like he teaches, he shows, he explains the route, the way, the path, but he is that path, he is that road, he is the way. And so the way, the truth and the life is, is, a, is essential and central teaching for Christians and for non-Christians. It's, it's for you and it's for the world. So for Christians, we need to know that Jesus is the only way that he is the truth, that he is the life. That we don't find life, that we don't find truth, that we don't find all we need in other things, in lesser things, in, in, in marriage or career or pleasing our parents or making money or, or gaining status. That Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. I think it's important to notice as well that that Jesus doesn't say, this certain stream or brand of Christianity or this type of theology is the way, the truth and the life. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. It's Jesus. So it's important for for Christians, but it's also essential and central teaching for non-Christians, for the world, because everyone's looking for God. People wouldn't say that today, that that we're all looking for God, but, but everyone's looking for something to reach the, the top of the mountain. Philosopher Charles Taylor says, um, he calls it fullness. Everyone's searching for fullness or meaning. Or St. Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they find rest in you, God. There's, there's this hole in the human heart that needs to be filled and you can't live on brunch forever. You'll get hungry. In, in Ronnie Chang's um, show, International Student, who's seen International Student? Great show, lots of Melbourne Uni scenes. Ronnie Chang's a funny guy. He's coming to the Hamer Hall soon. Um, I'm, I'm asking Jess to get it for a present for me for just 
being a good bloke. Um, <laughs> Brother's Day. Um, but but in, in Ronnie Cheng's International Student, um, there's this episode with an American exchange student called Craig. And he comes and he, he just disrupts everything by throwing reckless parties. And he throws reckless parties because he, he wants everyone to have a good time. He says it's, it's all about having a good time. Everyone's having a good time. And Ronnie snaps. And he goes, Craig, let me tell you straight. Life is not all about having a good time. If all you have is good times, you'll just have times. They're just times. And when, when, we, when we begin to realise this, when we begin to see that, that we get hungry if all we have is brunch, that we need fullness if all we have is fun or nice things or a good time. When, when we begin to realise this, we go looking for fullness in all sorts of places. Often it, it, it comes a time in, in a person's life where they go looking for fullness in religions or philosophies or, or worldviews. But if you look into the face of Jesus, you see the face of God. If you read Jesus, you read God. If you meet Jesus, you meet God. If you hear Jesus, you hear God. If you know Jesus, you know God. There's no other way to God. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus said. All other roads, all other religions, all other pathways, philosophies, practices, all fall short. Jesus is God and the hole in the human heart can only be filled by him. And so the exclusivity of this command, right? No one comes to the Father except through me. The exclusive nature of this is controversial to many but very necessary. Like Jesus is Lord. You can only have one Lord, one King. If you try and relativise his Lordship, if you dethrone him, you'll enthrone something different. You know, Australian politics surely shows us that having a new leader every five minutes isn't that helpful. We need to be respectful and generous to, to other religions and, and other worldviews, but we're selling their faith and we're actually selling our faith short if we say they're all sort of similar, they're all the same. They're not. Dig into it, they're not. We... we we must be sure and certain in the exclusive nature of Jesus' Lordship. And yet we must refuse to be arrogant and, and elitist about this. Right? Jesus, the only way to God, he served and loved people who accepted and rejected him. He, he, was, a, he was a suffering servant, a sacrifice for many. So Jesus is radically inclusive in his ministry. He's, he's universal in the direction of his mission. But he is the only way to God. He's the only Lord. One commentator said that I read, the horizontal arms of the cross stretch wide and far, but the vertical beam of the cross is a straight line. And, and to be honest, the research is in and churches who relativise die. They just, they just fade. The trick to restoring the church in this day and age is not accommodating the culture. It's not greater relevance 
but deeper and renewed trust in Jesus. Only Jesus. So, so we should be immersed and involved in the world. We should be contributors to the culture, but with our identity and our trust firmly planted in Jesus. So there's hope, there's one way, and there's work to be done. How can we live out this exclusive faith with this inclusive mission in the world? Our reading finishes with Jesus saying, whoever believes in me will do even greater things than I did. Now usually I'm, I'm pretty happy or pretty quick to believe what Jesus says, but this one's sort of hard to believe. I'll do greater things than Jesus? A lot of people, a lot of commentators believe this is um, about the quantity of Jesus' ministry, maybe more than the quality. That, that Jesus, if you look at his ministry, he only had like 12 sort of close disciples, 120 you know, after his, his death and, and resurrection. Like not a mega church. Jesus never went to China. He never went to America. He never came to Australia. But his disciples have taken his work and his word all over the earth to the ends of the earth. Jesus says you will do greater things. There's more. There's more to be done. He also says, verse 12 to 14, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I'll do it. Anything in my name. How often do we wonder if if maybe we just shouldn't ask? Like, maybe I should just be content. And, and contentment is great. Like, godliness and contentment is great gain. But Jesus says, ask. I was talking to a friend yesterday about praying without disclaimers. Just ask. It's, it, it is a mystery. Unanswered prayer is a mystery. Like, we have to admit that. Unanswered prayer is a mystery. We're, we're doing a whole night on unanswered prayer at the prayer course soon. But answered prayer is is a real thing. Answered prayer is a thing. And and Jesus says, ask. You may ask me for anything in my name and I'll do it. Obviously, um, there's something there about it being for the for the sake of his glory, you know. So make your big prayers about his glory, not yours. But pray big prayers because he says, Ask me for anything in my name and I'll do it. And maybe he's going to use you for his glory. So you don't need to sort of omit yourself from that narrative and be like, you know, I'll just pray for God to to, to kingdom come in general. Pray kingdom come in general and specifically. May we pray like Jesus means what he says here. We might get surprised by God. Our faith might get strengthened. And if you go to the gym for your muscles to get strengthened, they also have to get sore. And so it might take a bit of risk. It might take a bit of boldness, awkwardness to pray a big prayer. But Jesus says, ask me for anything. So I wonder if we should move that from a nice idea. I don't wonder. I I believe that that shouldn't just be a cool idea, but that should be informing our practice. We We should do that. So let's pray to Jesus in the midst of pragmatism. The order's different there, but the bottom one I'm starting with. Let's pray to Jesus in the midst of pragmatism. Our world is pretty pragmatic. 
Right? It's, it's cynical as well, which means we look to what's practically possible and what's achievable, what's likely, and we, we go there. But he is the God of the impossible and the unlikely. So let's pray in the midst of pragmatism and cynicism. Let's also preach the gospel in the midst of pressure. What I mean by this is when it comes to evangelism and mission, go for it. There's a pressure today to, to be silent, not to step on other people's toes. Um, Barna Group recently did some research of, of millennial Christians and, and they found out that 94%, basically all millennial Christians, believe the best thing that could ever happen to someone is that they come to know Jesus. Yet half of that group, half of the millennial Christians surveyed, 47%, believe it's wrong to share your personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes that they will one day convert. But conversion is cool. Like, whatever happened to conversion? Conversion is cool, man. Every religion should be bold enough to say, here's what I honestly believe. And it's not just for me, it's for you too. Like, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That's not just for you. Preach the gospel in the midst of pressure. And finally, praise the Saviour in the midst of pluralism. Pluralism um, is, is a big word for saying that lots of people believe lots of different things and yet we're all in society together. There's a plurality of, of religions, of worldviews. If we worship Jesus as the one true King, if we, if we proclaim that he's the one true God, if we follow him as disciples as the way, as the truth, as the life, in a world of different beliefs, that will actually bless the world. We can bless seculars, we can, we can be generous to Muslims, we can be kind to Buddhists, all in the name of Jesus. You know, The, the church ought to be a grace-filled, Christ-centred, generous people Contributing to a multi-faith society, but without a multi-faith religion. Like we can actually exist in this, this pluralistic world with our, firm, with our feet firmly planted in the Word of God, in the belief that He's the only way. And, and we can actually serve the world. We can follow Jesus for the sake of the world and for the sake of your faith. The best way to do that is to follow him all the way, to be all in, even in the midst of, of other options. Let's stand up. Jesus is God. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's enough. He's everything, and he's only So I pray that we may entrust our lives to you, God. That we might live and love, that we might proclaim and praise and pray like you are who you say you are. In Jesus' name, Amen.